chains Come now and take up your new name Your best life up ahead now You one step away Lay down, lay down your old chains Come now and take up your new name Your best life up ahead now well, good morning, church. We are so glad that you're here. Would you please stand for the reading of God's Word? We'd like to start today with a reading out of Psalm 105. It says this, Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon His name. Make known His deeds among the people. Sing to Him. Sing praises to Him. Tell of His wondrous works. Glory in His holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. And so as we begin today, we just want to lift our voices and put that passage into practice. Let's sing together. Good morning, everyone. Uh, how's everybody doing this morning on this lovely Sunday? Oh, that was terrible. Goodness sakes, that was awful. Good. Thank you. Oh, thank you, ma'am. Right and she, she raised her hands. Not in this church, ma'am. Not in this church. Uh, good morning. My name is Seth Brown. I'm the pastor of Adult Connections here at Faith Bible Church. And on behalf of the staff and the elders, we are 
thankful that you are here this morning as we gather to worship God together. Uh, if you are new to Faith Bible and we have the blessing of, of hosting you for the first time, we are thankful you're here. We hope that you feel welcomed and are encouraged by your time with us this morning. Uh, if you are new, we would encourage you also to visit the Welcome Center uh, in the lobby after the uh, service concludes. Uh, it's right across, uh, if you go out these doors, it's right across there and uh, there'll be some folks there to, to tell you more about the church and get to know you. And again, uh, we, we thank you so much for gathering with us this morning. Uh, let me just pass along a couple of announcements real quick and then Dustin and the band are going to continue to lead us uh, in worship through song. Uh, but I would encourage you to take a look at your bulletin this morning uh, about these events and other happenings that are going on. Uh, and so first off, tonight, uh, our next New Member Connection workshop is happening. Uh, it's going to be at 6 o'clock in the Fellowship Hall. And so this is a great opportunity for you to find out more about Faith Bible and perhaps start uh, the membership process. And so uh, if you haven't signed up but you want to be there, uh, you, can, you can certainly come. We have the room. Uh, just find me after the service in the Welcome Center, and uh, we'll get you signed up for that. And there is child care available uh, for that event. Again, we're going to be at, uh, in the Fellowship Hall at 6 o'clock for the New Member Workshop. Uh, and second, the ladies started their Bible studies, fall Bible studies this week. And so... Men, we want to give you a couple of opportunities to have some Bible studies of your own. Uh, there's going to be a Tuesday evening study uh, that begins on Tuesday, September 24th, and that's entitled uh, Foundations of Faith, and that's going to meet on the evenings uh, in the evenings on, uh, on Tuesdays for 13 weeks, and then there's going to be a Friday morning study that's, that begins Friday, October 4th, entitled Gospel Above All, and that's going to run for seven weeks. And so uh, there's more information about these men's studies on the, uh, on the website, and you can sign up for them there as well. And men, don't also don't forget about our next Man Up Men's Breakfast with Pastor Mark coming up on Saturday, October the 5th. So again, lots going on. Uh, we encourage you to take a look at your bulletins this week for more information about all of these things and more. And it, right now, if you'll just stand and greet someone, we will continue to worship together. Thank you so much. I will not glory in anything, not accolade nor might, not stature or claim on earth, but in the cross of Christ. I will glory in the cross of Christ. I will revel in His sacrifice. I will boast of him who gave me life. I will glory in the cross of Christ. I will not glory in anything that from his name would take.
of kindness he lavished on us. His blood was the payment, his life was the cost. We stood neath a debt we could never afford. Our sins, they are without hope with no place to begin your love made a way to let mercy come in when death was arrested in my life ash was redeemed only beauty remains my orphan heart was given my morning grew quiet, my feet rose to dance When death was arrested and my life began Oh, your grace so free washes over me You have made me It's your endless love pouring down on us. You have made us new, now life begins with you. Released from my chains, I'm a prisoner no more. My shame was a ransom. my death and he called me his friend when death was rested in my life
Savior displayed on a criminal's cross. Darkness rejoiced as though heaven had lost. But then Jesus rose with our freedom in Father, we thank you for that amazing truth. Thank you that as we gather today, God, we can proclaim that we are free. God, that your word says, death, where is your sting? Hell, where is your victory? And God, we thank you for that victory because the only way that we can celebrate it, the only way that we can take part of it is because of Christ. And so God, we thank you for his atoning work on the cross. God, it's a privilege and an honor to gather and worship you here today. And it's in the precious name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.
Great name. Uh, Father, we thank you for the body of Jesus Christ. We thank you for the, your love for your people. Uh, we thank you, O oh God, for calling us out of darkness into your marvelous light. Uh, Father, we pray for Dustin and Jessica and their children as they transition to another ministry opportunity. We ask that you'd guide them, that you'd go ahead of them, and that your good and gracious hand of blessing uh, would be upon them. And now, fathers, we prepare to open the Bible together. I, I thank you for the privilege to stand in this pulpit. Uh, to proclaim the infallible uh, Word of God. Uh, Father, you, we pray you'd give us a rich time in Scripture this morning. Give us eager hearts and hungry souls that desire to feed upon your Word. Use our time together to inform us, but more importantly, to form us into the image of your Son and our Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. We ask these things in his precious name. Amen. Well, we're, uh, we're currently in a series here at the church titled Heavenly Rewards. I've written a book by that title, and uh, some of you uh, probably didn't think there was that much in the Bible about rewards, but we're going to talk about it one more week next week, so it'll be a, it's a five-week series. We're in the fourth message this morning, and uh, if you've not been with us the last three weeks, you might watch those messages online. I think that will give you a, a kind of a full uh, treatment of what the Bible really says about rewards in the future. Uh, this morning, we're going to be in Luke 19. I can hear some of you turning in your Bibles already there. So if you'll take your Bible and turn with me to Luke 19, we're going to look at a parable that Jesus gave about future rewards or heavenly rewards. And then we'll do the same thing next week, looking at another parable of Jesus, and we'll wrap this study up. Uh, this parable in Luke 19 is often called the parable of the minas because uh, Jesus gave a mina, which is an amount of money to each of the, the servants. Um, the King James Bible calls, it th calls them pounds, so it's called the parable of the pounds. And I remember uh, hearing Dr. Toussaint preach on this one time, my old friend, and he called it uh, the parable of what I've got too much of, uh, the parable of the pounds. But anyway, we'll call it uh, the parable of the pounds or the minas here today. Let me read uh, this parable for us. It says, while they were listening to these things, Jesus went on to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem, and they supposed the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately. And he said, a nobleman went to a distant country to receive a kingdom for himself and then return. And he called ten of his slaves and gave them ten minas, and he said to them, do business with this until I come back. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned after receiving the kingdom, he ordered that these slaves to whom he had given the money be called to him so that he might know what business they had done. The first appeared saying, Master, your mina has made ten minas more. And he said to him, Well done, good slave, because you've been faithful in a very little thing. You'll be in authority over ten cities. The second came saying, Your mina, master, has made five minas. And he said to him also, And you'll be over five cities. Another came saying, Master, here is your mina, which I kept hidden away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you because you're an exacting man. You take up what you did not lay down and reap what you did not sow. And he said to him, By your own words I will judge you, you worthless slave. Did you not know I'm an exacting man, taking up what I did not lay down and reaping what I did not sow? Then why did you not put my money in the bank, and having come, I would have collected it with interest? Then he said to the bystanders, take the mina from him and give it to the one who has the ten minas. And they said to him, Master, he has ten minas already. He says, I tell you to everyone who has, more shall be given. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. But these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here 
and slay them in my presence. May the Lord write his eternal word on our hearts this morning. Um, I'm sure all of you here have uh, heard of the book, and probably many of you have read the book by Stephen Covey. It's uh, a book been out for many years called Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And in that book, habit number two of those seven habits is begin with the end in view. A one key habit of highly effective people is that they begin with the end in view. They begin with the end in mind. In other words, they can envision the future and they know how to work in their life in light of that to attain uh, that goal they're working toward. But you know, that's not just a habit of highly effective people. It's also a habit of highly effective Christians. Uh, Living with the end in view, living with an eternal perspective, I believe is essential for an effective uh, Christian walk and life. Uh, We have to know what we're aiming at in this life to hit the target. Uh, We have to know where we're headed uh, to arrive there. Uh, We all need to live each day uh, with the end in view because if we have the end in view and it's the proper end, then that will motivate us and incentivize us to labor in view of that coming day. So one of the habits that should be present in every one of our lives as believers is to begin our life, our Christian life, with the end in view. And that's really what this series on heavenly rewards is all about. And that's certainly what this story Jesus told here in Luke 19 is about. Now, this this parable has a very simple point to it, but yet a very sobering one. And that is when the king comes, he's going to hold all of us accountable for what we've done with what he's given to us. So let me say that again. When the king comes, he's going to hold all of us accountable for what we've done with what he's given to us. So... We need to keep the end in view. We need to trust the master. We need to faithfully invest what he's given to us to maximize uh, the return on our life. Now, I've got a simple outline this morning to unpack this parable. We're going to start with the setting. Um, One of the things in, in the parables Jesus gives is the setting is always very important. So we'll look at the setting or the scene, then we'll look at the story itself or the parable, and then we'll end just really briefly with the significance of this to kind of drive that home at the end. So let's start here with the setting or the scene. You'll notice in verse 11 it says, while they were listening to these things. You'll say, well, what things? Well, the things Jesus has just been saying to Zacchaeus. This story takes place in the city of Jericho. And that Jesus has just been talking with Zacchaeus. And so while they were listening to these things, you'll notice it says, Jesus went on to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem. So they're near Jerusalem. Uh, Jericho, if you've been to Israel, is 17 miles from Jerusalem, and it's straight uphill. I mean, it's a very uphill climb to get to Jerusalem from Jericho. And Jesus is on the final leg here of his journey to Jerusalem. Um, He's traveling there for Passover, and this is just probably about two or three weeks before the death and resurrection of Jesus. So his final main stop before getting to Jerusalem is here in the city of Jericho. And you'll notice it says, he told this parable because he was near Jerusalem, and they supposed the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately. Now that word appear uh, means to come in view or to come in sight. I mean, it's a nautical term that has the idea of showing up on the horizon. So notice it says here, they supposed the kingdom of God was going to appear on the horizon immediately. 
So the closer they get to Jerusalem, the greater the kingdom anticipation becomes. And now they're at, Jer- at Jericho, just 17 miles from Jerusalem, and it's reached a fever pitch. The followers of Jesus believe that he's going to establish the messianic kingdom. He's going to throw off the yoke of Rome, and as the Jewish Messiah, when he gets to Jerusalem, he's going to set up uh, the kingdom. In fact, it may have been that they believed when they they came over the crest of the Mount of Olives that they were going to see uh, the kingdom uh, come to pass in the city of Jerusalem. So this parable, it says, is given by Jesus in order to counter the idea that the kingdom is going to come immediately. Now, we're going to see a little bit later here, the kingdom is going to come. I mean, it's still future even today, the coming of Messiah's kingdom to this earth. But they thought it was going to come immediately. So Jesus tells this story to tell them, look, there's going to be a long interim between when I go away and when I come back to set up the kingdom. So that's the scene here or the setting that calls forth this story. Now we come to the story here, the parable. Now this parable upon occurred back in 4 BC, probably the year Jesus was born. So the year Jesus was born, he was born around 5 or 4 BC. But in 4 BC, Herod the Great, uh, King Herod dies. And when Herod dies, he's the king of the Jews, Elas, down in the city of Jericho and wanted to crown him as king. So isn't it interesting? Jesus is in Jericho. That's where this event had taken place some years earlier where they want to make Archelaus king. Now, this guy Archelaus was no dummy, and he knew that the only person who could confer upon him kingship was Caesar himself, that is Caesar Augustus. So he traveled to Rome, all the way to Rome, to get the title of king, and then he was going to come back and reign. So he assembles a large entourage of people. Um, we know that his mother went with him, um, his, uh, many of his family members, his friends. They make the long journey to Rome for him to be crowned as king. But the Jews didn't want him to be crowned king, so they sent a contingent of 50 Jews to follow him to protest his installation as king. And when they get to Jerusalem, 8,000 Jews in Rome joined the opposition to him him being declared king. So Caesar Augustus ordered a compromise. He gave uh, Archelaus a title, the title of ethnarch, and he told him he would later give him the title of king um, if he would earn it which, by the way, he never did do. So he returns then back to Israel, and when he gets back there, he rewards those who were faithful to him in his absence, and he punishes those uh, who were not faithful to him. So Jesus uses this familiar story as the backdrop for this parable, and he pictures himself as this nobleman who goes away on a distant journey to get the kingdom, And he pictures his followers as the servants who were left behind to do business while they waited uh, for the return of the king. So this is something they would have been very familiar with. And as Jesus began to tell it, they'd think, you know, that sounds just like uh, what happened uh, years ago. Now, this story unfolds in two parts. Um, First of all, the nobleman departs. And we have the assignment of the servants, and then the nobleman's going to return, and we have the accounting of the servants. So it opens up with this departure of the nobleman, verse 12. A nobleman went to a distant country to receive a kingdom for himself and then return. And of course, that's Jesus. He's going to leave. He's going to go to heaven to get a kingdom, and he's going to come back. 
And he then called 10 of his slaves and gave them 10 minas and said to them, do business with this until I come back. So he calls in 10 of his slaves and he gives each of them a, a mina. A mina in that day was equal to about 100 days wages. So to kind of round it off in our thinking, let's say it's about $10,000 today. So they're each given the same amount to invest while the nobleman is gone. Now, this is not the same parable as the parable of the talents in Matthew 25. You might take some time this week and read that parable. It's very similar, a lot of parallels, but they're different. Uh, they're given on different occasions. Uh, the parable of the talents is given two days before Jesus dies. Uh, this is about two or three weeks before he dies. Uh, the number of servants is different. If you go read the parable of the talents, it's three servants there. Here it's 10 servants. Uh, the amount of money is different. Um, they're, they're given talents in Matthew 25, whereas here it's minas. And also the amount is different. In the parable of the talents, one man's given five, one's given two, and another's given one, whereas in the parable of the minas, they're all given the same amount. So some people kind of see a difference here in that in Matthew 25, the focus is on that we have differing abilities and different levels of opportunity. Now, we all know that. I mean, we have different abilities, different resources, different opportunities. And some say that's what the parable of the talents highlights because one gets five, another gets two, and another gets one. But here in, in, in Luke 19, the, fo the, the focus is on the faithfulness of whatever it is that God has given to us, that we all have some gift. Some people even believe the minor here is kind of the gospel, what we do with the gospel that God gives to us because we all have that in common. But the main point here is we all have talents, opportunities, abilities, and resources God wants us to invest. We all have a mina or a deposit from God that he's given to us. And so in verse 13, when this uh, nobleman goes away, he says the end of the verse, do business with this until I come back. Now, when I was growing up, we always used the King James Bible, and I remember in the King James, it says here that Jesus said, occupy until I come. Now, I never knew what that really meant when I was a kid, but it sounds really good. But it, it means to do business with, occupy with this or do business. And, and the Living Bible says, invest this while I'm gone. So that's the gist of what he's saying here. Now, the second scene in the story is the nobleman returns. We could call this the accounting of the servants. Now, the plot thickens here. Notice, when he returned, after receiving the kingdom, he ordered that these slaves to whom he'd given the money be called to him. So of that, back in verse 12, when he says a nobleman went to a distant country. He's going to be gone a while. Jesus has gone to heaven to receive the kingdom. He's going to be gone for a period of time. And then ultimately, uh, he's going to return. So there's going to be an extended period of time between the comings of Christ. But make no mistake, the king is going to come back someday, and nothing can stop it. And he's saying, look, we live now today in light of that. When Jesus comes back, he's coming back as king. And when he comes back as king, there's going to be an accounting. So Jesus wanted his hearers to know what they were supposed to be doing in his absence. They're not just to, to sit around and wait for him to return. They were do, to be doing business with what he entrusted to them. So a day of reckoning is coming. And there's not going to be any place to hide. And we're not going to be able to give a bunch of excuses. What you did and what I have done with our mina 
is going to be fully manifest. And so we need to be prepared. Now, I have a recurring dream, or what I call a nightmare, and it's my least favorite dream that I have. And I have it with some regularity. And I think maybe I have this dream because I spent so many years in school. It's just kind of embedded in my mind. But in this dream, which seems so real, it's the end of the semester at school, and I'm in this class, and I'm taking a test, but I haven't even been to the class all semester. And I don't really know why I'm there, but I've been in it all this time, but there's an exam, and I'm totally unprepared for it. And I'm just frantic and confused, like, what's going on? I didn't even know I was in this class all semester. Why am I here taking the test? And I'm panicked because I haven't done the work for the class. I'm unprepared. Or I have a a newer version of that now that I have, and that is it's Sunday, and I'm supposed to preach. And for some reason, I didn't know I was supposed to do it. And I'm like up here at church, and like everything's at home, and I'm trying to go home, and you know how everything moves slowly, and I I can't get there fast enough, and I'm confused and, and, and just freaked out over what's going on. Now, some of you probably had that same dream, and it's a crazy dream, and sometimes I have it, and I wake up, and I'm so relieved that it's not reality, but the problem is I go back to sleep, and it picks back up right where it was. And I'm like, anyway, thankfully at some point I wake up and I'm awake for good and I realize that I'm off the hook, that it was just a dream and I feel a a great sense of relief. But I've often wondered in my own mind, what if that were true? And it weren't just a college class or just preaching a sermon, but it's standing before the Lord at the end of the age. And you realize too late that you're called to account for what you're supposed to be doing, and you're totally unprepared. You're not ready. Now, that would be an awful nightmare from which you wouldn't wake up. And Jesus is telling this parable, I think, to motivate us to be ready, to prevent that from happening to us someday. And so he calls in three of the ten servants, or he calls in the the ten servants, and he gives us the record of of three of them. Now, parables often uh, break things down and make them uh, more succinct for brevity's sake. He doesn't say you be called in the first servant and the second servant and the third and the fourth and the fifth. It'd get kind of, it'd get kind of uh, uh, laborious. So the three here are called in, but they're typical of all the rest. And these first uh, two of the servants are faithful. Notice in verse 16, the first appeared saying, Master, your mina has made ten minas more. And he said to him, Well done, good slave, because you've been faithful in a little thing. You'll be in authority over ten cities. Now, I love this here because notice what the man says. He appears and he says, Master, your mina has made ten minas more. Notice the humility here. He doesn't say, Look what I did. He says, you gave me the mina, it's your mina, and you gave it to me, and all I did was put it to work. He recognizes that it all uh, belongs to God, and that is a key for you and me for successful serving, and that is remembering that all of our gifts, all of our abilities, all of our opportunities, all of our resources come from God. That's the beginning place. Lord, it's your mina that made Uh, 10 minas more. Your mina did it. I just put it to work. So this man makes a a thousand percent profit. He he ends up with one mina and he makes 10 minas more. And Jesus says to him, well done, good slave, because you've been faithful in a little thing. You'll be put over 10 cities. Now, here's a very important thing to notice. Jesus doesn't say, well planned. 
or well thought or well intended. He says, well done. I think every one of us here probably have plans and thoughts and intentions of things we want to do, but we don't ever really do them. We're not going to get credit when we stand before the Lord for well-intentioned or well-planned or well-thought. It's going to be well-done, good and faithful servant. So let me just say this. If there's things you're planning or things you're thinking or things you're intending, go and do those for the glory of God because those are the things uh, that God's going to reward. Now, the second servant shows up in verse 18. He came saying, your mina, master, has made five minas more, a 500% profit. And he says to him, you will be over five cities. Now, there's a great lesson for us here about rewards, and that is rewards for investing are huge. God is generous. God is not stingy. He's generous and lavish in rewards. Slave number one took $10,000 and made $100,000, and what he received in return is 10 entire cities to rule over. One of these days when Christ comes, we're going to reign with him on the earth in the millennial kingdom. And we're going to rule and reign over cities. And think about if you've traveled around the world some, cities like Sydney and Honolulu or maybe Carmel, California, or the Greek Isles or places like that. Now, I've always wondered if I might be over Godibo, Oklahoma, or something like that or whatever. I've never been to Godibo, so if you're from there, I'm not knocking it. I just think it sounds kind of neat. I actually had somebody after the last service come up and said, I've actually been to Godibo. I spent the night there one time, and she said it really isn't that great. So anyway, but we're going to rule over entire cities. I mean, think about the lavish rewards, and you'll notice what he says here. He says to the first servant, you've been faithful in a very little thing a very little thing. Whatever any of us do for God, it's little. It's just little things. But God lavishes rewards upon us for doing little things, and we're going to reign with Him. We will reign upon the earth. And to me, this is so encouraging. A little thing in this life can bring great reward in the life to come. And I know I quoted this probably a couple weeks ago, but Hudson Taylor, the great missionary to China, said, a little thing is a little thing, but faithfulness in a little thing is a great thing. And that's what he says, you've been faithful in a little thing, and faithfulness in a little thing is a big thing to God. Someone put it like this years ago, you've heard the old business maxim, you know, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. Well, here it's actually true. It sounds too good to be true that God would reward us in that way, but it ends up being true uh, after all. God is lavish and generous in giving rewards. God is not stingy. And the greater the faithfulness in this life, the greater the reward and the responsibilities in the life to come. So the present life we live is training ground for the future. Again, I think I said this a couple weeks ago, but this is training time for reigning time in the future. Now we come to the third servant in verse 20. Another came saying, Master, here is your mina, which I kept put away in a handkerchief. Now you'll notice here, there's a lot of verses here about the third servant, a lot more than there was about the first or second servant. And this is a literary device in parables. You'll read the parables of Jesus. The, uh, the focus is always on the end. It's called end stress. In other words, the, the punch in parables always comes at the end. 
And so it's this third servant that really Jesus uh, hones in on here. And the first two servants are clearly faithful servants. This servant here we're going to see is unfaithful. But the question really is in our minds for many of us is does this faithful servant represent a true believer um, who knows the Lord but doesn't live for the Lord and loses rewards? Or is this a person who professes to know Christ but doesn't really have a relationship with him, an unbeliever? Now, there's good commentators and scholars on both sides of this, so whichever one you pick, you'll be in good company. Uh, People who say that this man is clearly a believer say, well, he did receive a mina. You know, he got a mina like everybody else did, so clearly he's a believer. They'll also point out that down in verse 27, we have the enemies of the king introduced, and this servant is not among those enemies. So he's not, he's not uh, uh, counted here with the enemies, and he got a mina. So clearly this person's a believer, but it's just a believer who was unfaithful to the Lord and is going to lose their reward. Now that view's certainly possible, but there's four points that lead me to believe that this servant represents someone who professes to know Christ, but doesn't really have a relationship with him. It's a false Christian, if you will. Now, let me give you four really simple reasons why I hold that view. First of all, when you come to verse 20, notice it says, another came. Now, that's significant because if you look down at verse 16, it says, the first appeared. Then in verse 18, it says, the second came. Now, what would we expect in verse 20? The third came, right? But it says, another came. And the Greek word there, another, is the word heteros, which means another of a different kind. So immediately he's signaling to us, the first came, the second came. We got another here now who's of a different kind. Also in verse 22, Jesus calls this man a worthless slave. Now again, some people say, well, he's you know, this is a believer, but he's just worthless. That's certainly possible, but it seems like strong language to me. Also, a third reason is if you look at this parable and see the parallel in Matthew 25 of the talents I mentioned earlier. Again, they aren't the same parable, but there are parallels there. Clearly, the third servant in the parable of the talents is an unbeliever because it says that this man uh, you know, goes and just hides what he has, and Jesus says, go and bind that man hand and foot, cast him into outer darkness where there'll be uh, weeping and gnashing of teeth, which clearly is hell. So in the parable of the talents, the third servant, to me, is clearly an unbeliever. So with a parallel to that, I take this person to be an unbeliever as well. But finally, the fourth thing that leads me to believe this person's not a true Christian is he seems to not trust the king. He doesn't really seem to have a relationship with the king. He doesn't know him. He says, you're harsh, and you're unfair, and you're unjust. He doesn't seem to really know the king, and he tries to excuse himself for not loving and serving the king by blaming the king himself. Daryl Bach, who's a well-known scholar on the book of Luke, he says this, The third servant represents people who are related to the king and that they're associated with the community and have responsibility in it. Nevertheless, their attitude shows that they do not see God as gracious and they have not really trusted him. Such people are left with nothing at the judgment. They're sent to outer darkness because they never really trusted or knew God. And that's the view I take here, that I take of this third servant. 
Um, I like what J.C. Ryle says. He says, hard thoughts of God are a common mark of unconverted people. That's true, isn't it? Unconverted people, they don't have right thoughts about God. And he says, they first misrepresent God, and then they try to excuse themselves for not loving and serving Him. So this man excuses himself for what he does by blaming the master for being harsh and demanding and unfair. So you'll notice he, he takes the mina and he, he puts it in a handkerchief and hides it. He probably stuffs it under his mattress or something and just hides it away. And he says, I was afraid of you. You're an exacting man. You know, you, you take up what you didn't lay down and reap what you didn't sow. And Jesus says, by your own words, I will judge you, you worthless slave. And he repeats back to him what he said. And then Jesus says in verse 23, then why did you not put my money in the bank? And having coming, I would have collected it with interest. Uh, by the way, Jesus gives approval to banking here. So anybody in the banking business, you can rest assured Jesus was approved of banking and making interest on your money. And then he says to the bystanders, take the mina away from him and give it to the one that has 10 minas. And they said, he's already got 10 minas. He says, to everyone who has, more will be given. To the one who does not have, even what he has uh, shall be taken away. So this is the ultimate use it or lose it story. Now, what this man has is given to the man with 10 minus, which again is a picture of God's lavish rewarding of those who are faithful to him. So the point here is, is what you do with your mina ultimately reveals what you think of the Savior. What you do with what God has given you reveals what you think of him. Now, one question here, another thought that is important is, why did this third servant stash the mina away like he did? He says, I was afraid of you, and so I just hid it away. And the idea is, when you came back that way, I could at least make sure I could give it back to you. But this is a really lame excuse this man gives, and Jesus calls him on it. And basically what Jesus says to this man is, you're a liar. That's not really the reason. And Jesus unmasks him. You say, well, why didn't he invest the mina? And I think the reason here that Jesus unmasks is he was simply indifferent. He didn't care. He didn't want to bother with it. I mean, he was too, in, he was too involved in his own interests to care about that. Now, it may even be that the man didn't even believe that the master was coming back. Now, think about this for a moment. If he goes and puts it in the bank and uh, has a record of it, then if the king doesn't show up, people are going to know that that was the king's money and the bank's going to keep it or give it to someone else. Whereas if he just puts it under his mattress, if the king doesn't come back, no one's going to know that he's got it and then he can just keep it for himself. So he, I think he doesn't even really believe the king's going to come back, so he just keeps it. In other words, he doesn't trust him. And by the way, if we don't believe Jesus is coming back, it's going to change the way we live. But Jesus calls him out on this because he says, look, if you were afraid of me and think I'm such a harsh man, why didn't you at least put it in the bank and it would have gotten interest? I mean, it'd still be safe there, but I would have gotten something out of it. He's saying, look, you're lying. The reason you did this is you just didn't want to mess with it. You didn't want to take the time and the bother. So what this man thought of the king was revealed in what he did with the mina. Think about these first two servants. They involved their whole lives in investing their gifts and the opportunities they had. The easiest thing to do that this man does is just roll it up in a napkin and stick it under your mattress and go on with your life. And that raises a good question for us this morning. Are you so involved maybe with your business 
or maybe uh, your education or possessions or friends or sports or social life or whatever it may be that you've forgotten about the mina. And Jesus gives this parable because he's wanting us to ask ourselves, which one of these servants am I like? And then he goes on down in verse 27 and introduces the final group here, and these are the enemies. But these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slay them in my presence. These are people who outwardly reject Christ. They don't want him to rule and reign over their life. And he says when he comes, they're going to be destroyed. So in this one parable, we have the faithful, we have the faults, and then we have the foes, if you will. It's all in one story. So I told you this morning, all of us will find ourselves somewhere in this parable. That's the only three groups of people there are. There's, the, there's rewards for the faithful, there's rejection for the faults, and there's retribution for the foes. Really, when you think about it, though, you really can divide all of humanity into two categories. What did, what did John say in 1 John 5, 12? He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. That's it. If you have Jesus, you have life. You don't him, don't have him, you don't have life. So this parable is bringing us face to face with the idea of where am I? What group am I in? What I'm going to do with this mind is going to reflect what I really think of the Savior. So that's the setting and the story. Uh, let's just look for just a moment at the significance. We've already said this, but again, I want to bring it home. You and I are living between verse 14 and verse 15. So if you like to write in your Bible, you could put a little arrow right there and say, you are here. That's where we are, right? He's gone away, Jesus has, to receive the kingdom to heaven. And then in verse 15, he's going to return. So you and I are living today in the interim between the comings of Christ. And now is the time to invest and to do business. And Jesus wants us to be strategic investors a lot of us here, we probably think about our money some, or maybe we have someone who does that for us. And we want them to be a strategic investor, right? To get us in things that will make as much as we can and lose as little as possible. Jesus is saying, look, I want you to be creative venture capitalists, if you will. I want you to be gospel entrepreneurs. I want you to maximize the investment of your life so I can get the biggest possible return when I come back. He wants us to be bullish on the kingdom, if you will. And I like the way Phil Riken puts it in his commentary. He says, the question for us is not what happened to the man in the parable, but what will happen to us. The answer depends on what we do with what we have. The master's been gone a long time. We see so many troubles in the world that sometimes we wonder whether he will ever return. But we have a promise that one day Jesus will come again in royal triumph. So I ask you, are you working hard for his kingdom? Are you making wise investments with your time and talent? And I love this, he says, that will strengthen your spiritual portfolio. When he comes back someday, the Lord's going to examine our portfolio. He's going to find out what kind of an investment we made and what kind of a return that he's received from our life. And look, as we get older, we all realize that, eternity, that, that opportunities slip by us moment by moment. And this is the only time we have to prepare. So what we do with our time and our money and the gospel is going to really define our life in many ways for all of eternity. 
Jesus expects an increase on his investment. So invest it and work it and manage it and improve it and live with the end in view of your life. Don't get so absorbed with what's right before us that you lose sight of the end and where it's all headed. Invest the resources God has given you now. There's a story from English history when uh, Oliver Cromwell was the Lord Protector of England for a while, uh, that the British government ran low on silver. They didn't have enough silver to make coins. So they're trying to scrounge around and find silver any place they could. And so he sent some of his men to the local uh, cathedrals to see if they could find any silver there. After investigating, they came back and said, the only silver we can find is in the statues that are standing in the corners of all the cathedrals. And so this, the radical soldier and statesman, uh, Oliver Cromwell, said, good. He says, we'll, we'll melt down the saints and put them in circulation. And I like that because a lot of us, if we really think about our life, we're a saint, we're a believer, but we may just kind of be standing over in the corner, if you will, for people to look at. We're not really doing much. And what you and I need to do is allow the Lord to come in and melt down our lives and put us into circulation so that the Lord can make, gain a maximum return uh, on our lives. You know, in this series on rewards we're doing, we're talking a lot about works that we do for the Lord after we become a believer. And I, I've tried to make it clear in every one of these messages, and I want to say this again as we close this morning. We've been talking a lot about works that we do for the Lord, but let me make it crystal clear. There's only one work that will get you to heaven. There's only one work that will ever get you to heaven, and that is the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. The only work that will ever get you to heaven is not a work that you do. It's a work that he did for you. And if you've never trusted in Jesus and received the benefit of that once-for-all sacrifice that he offered for you on the cross, that's what you need to do this morning. You need to take him to be your Savior. Look, after you become a believer and you trust in that work that he did for you, then we're empowered by the Holy Spirit to do works for him that will bring reward. But you can't do that until you accept, by grace, as a free gift, the work that he did for you. So, so many people today think, you know, I'm doing this for God, I'm doing that, you know, I go to church, I do these various things, I do good works, I, you know, I help out in the community, I'm, I'm a good person. None of that will get us to heaven. There's one work that will get us there, it's His work. That's the only work that God will accept uh, for our salvation. So make sure you've trusted Him before you leave here this morning. Let's pray together. Father, if there is someone here this morning outside of Christ, they've never seen that once-for-all finished work that Jesus accomplished for them on the cross when he died in their place, that they'll bow right now at the foot of the cross and receive by grace as a free gift forgiveness of sins and eternal life through Jesus Christ and through him alone. Oh, Father, we thank you for that work that Jesus did for us that we could never do for ourselves. And Father, we thank you that you give us the opportunity once we come to know you to work for you to labor for you, to do business for you. And Father, I pray that you'll help all of us this morning to begin today with the end in view. We'll understand where we're going to be someday. We'll order our lives and our priorities in light of that coming day when we'll stand before the Master when He comes. Father, help us to be found faithful as we await our, the coming of our Lord. 
We ask these things in his name. Amen. Well, if you'll stand with me for the benediction as we're dismissed with the Lord's blessing upon us. If you are visiting with us, if you go out these doors on the left of the lobby, there's a welcome center. Uh, There's some folks there that'd love to greet you and give you some more information about our church. Um, I'm going to be down front after the service. Our elders in the service will be down front as well. Uh, We'd love the opportunity to get acquainted, uh, maybe pray with you about a need you have. If there's some burden that you'd like to to share with us that we can pray with you about, we'd love to do that. Or uh, maybe you uh, would like to talk about the message this morning. I'd love to do that if you have any questions or thoughts. Well, let's bow our heads now for the benediction as we leave here with the Lord's blessing upon us. Father, we come now before you. We thank you for the word of God that you've given to us. We ask now that you'd send us out in your power uh, from here to go out, and that we would go out and do business uh, for you this week. We ask this in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.